Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Be sure to like the video and subscribe if you haven't already. I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. Hey, what's up, Nate? Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure having you. And today's episode is dedicated to Calvin Atkinson, who generously donated $100 to the channel. We appreciate your generosity and would like to remind all the listeners that if you want to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description on YouTube. Make a donation of any value. Ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Or if you donate $100 or more, we will dedicate the episode to you. And once again, today's episode is dedicated to Calvin Atkinson. And today's episode is going to be one of great tribulation, as Sony and Nintendo each have made controversial moves over the last several days. One of them we have known about now for several months, and that is from Nintendo. While Sony sprung an announcement on us out of the blue, and it has upset a lot of people. But we're going to start with Nintendo first, and this week marked the end of availability for Super Mario 35, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, and Fire Emblem on the Nintendo eShop, as well as retail availability, barring the retailers having excess stock that they still have to sell through, but additional stock will no longer be coming in. So if you are still looking for a copy of 3D All-Stars, you can check Walmart, Best Buy, GameStop.com. Several of them still have stock but you will no longer be able to buy the game from the Nintendo eShop directly. And this move is still one that bothers me. And it's a very worrying trend for the industry as a whole moving forward because Nintendo, Nintendo set a precedent here. They have proven that FOMO, or fear of missing out, can be an effective marketing strategy and this is reflected in the sales data that is seen with Mario 3D All-Stars. This is a game that has sold incredibly well since its introduction in September of last year. And I'm sure it saw an increase of sales in the last several days because people woke up and said, oh no, this game is going away tomorrow. I had sat on the fence and you know I'm going to buy it because I don't want to run the risk of not being able to get it in the future. And I know several people, and I understand this is just an anecdote. I know several people who did purchase 3D All-Stars yesterday, not necessarily because they really wanted the game. They just didn't want to take the risk or roll the dice of not being able to find it in the future. So Nintendo's FOMO strategy has paid off. We will get an update in sales figures I believe the first week of May when Nintendo will report their fiscal year earnings up to the end of March or literally the other day. And this is still a very egregious, aggressive and unnecessary marketing ploy by Nintendo and beyond just Mario 35th, which is now inaccessible. We had Fire Emblem and this was the first Fire Emblem game ever made. This was the first legitimate English translation to be released in North America and the West in general. There was the DS remake of Fire Emblem Dragon Sword. And now Nintendo is just pulling it from digital availability. 
And as a consumer or as a fan, they have left you no option. There is no physical copy of this game that's going to habitate the used game shelves. There is no alternative option to access this game except for emulation or piracy. Yeah. And as a fan, you have to look at Nintendo, especially with the Fire Emblem release and say, what are you doing? I feel like we've 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 talked about this before because we have, right? We talked about this months ago when all this started to go down and a lot of people were quick to tell us, oh, Nintendo's not going to do that. You know, they're going to just make these games available digitally after after March 31st. And we were scratching our heads thinking, no, they're probably not. And here we are. I mean, I, I heard so many people try to tell me that um, Fire Emblem would just hit the uh, NES online service, you know, after after March 31st, just as, you know, a game that's available on that service. And then we heard that maybe they would split up the Mario 3D All-Stars collection as separate games and put them on the eShop, when clearly none of that has happened. And I think ultimately, you're right, Nate, FOMO is is a is a marketing tool that Nintendo used in this situation and they've used before. I mean, they've done this for years and, you know, we have to be very clear that this is not a new tactic that Nintendo has pulled out for, 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 you know, uh, March 31st, right? They've done this many, many times before going back to the days of the Wii shop, um, even, even further back than that. It's just now that there's so much more visibility on these things because we live in a age of social media and and things like that where, you know, these articles get um, tweeted around and shared and uh, given a platform and and liked and disliked and, you know, um, go go viral and, and things like that. But it's not really any different than the way that they've done business in the past. And that's really the unfortunate part for me. Yeah, in the case of Fire Emblem, I'm okay with them pulling that retail special edition 30th anniversary box set. Absolutely. It was yeah. It was elaborate. It was a smartly designed limited release. I understand that one. I don't understand why they went out of their way to pull a $6.99 eShop exclusive release of a game that for the first time was released in Western markets, fully translated. That is a lot of effort that cost Nintendo probably a fair amount of money to even do to this game. And they also added quality of life improvements. Why would you want something of that caliber to only be available for a handful of months? That's baffling to me. And as you mentioned, they use the FOMO effect as their marketing tool to drive sales of this product, to get you to buy, even if maybe you weren't that interested. I saw people tweet to me saying, should I buy Fire Emblem, even though I don't have that much interest in the game? And I responded saying, if you have no interest in the game, no, don't buy the game. Don't fall for that marketing trick of, oh no, I'm not going to have access to this game if I don't buy it right now. If you genuinely do not have interest in the game, Don't fall for the hype or the idea of missing out. Save your money. Use it for a product that you want. Buying it reaction, you know, having that reactionary impulse to buy is exactly 
what a company like Nintendo wants you to do in these situations. They want you to buy it and say, I don't actually want this game. They don't care. They got your money. And that's what FOMO is all about. Nintendo used this trick well. From a business perspective, it's a very effective tool. From a consumer and a fan perspective, this just creates an anxiety, an anxiety of unknown, an anxiety of, well, if I don't get it now, will I ever be able to get it? And that's, that's just not something that this industry needs. And a lot of people did try to justify it to themselves saying, oh, it's going to come to Nintendo Switch Online. It's there in Japan. Okay, it very well may come to Nintendo Switch Online sometime down the road. Same with the 3D All-Stars collection. People said, well, they're going to split them up. They're going to sell them for $20 a piece. That could happen. As of now, there's no known plan to do that. And Nintendo has to be careful. I just sit here and I just cannot explain to myself how this is possible other than Nintendo is, you know, is relying on that FOMO effect, as you said, and and look, they're being they're being anti-consumer about this. There's, there's no other way to put this. It's it's very disappointing um, because the Switch does have a long time left to go, and there will be some people that may want to play Mario sixty four, Mario Sunshine, Mario um, uh, Galaxy, and they are now in a very difficult situation to do so. And look, people may th- look, you know listen to me and say. Dude, you're really kind of blowing this out of proportion. It's not that big of a deal. Okay, in one sense, maybe it's not. But the fact that I have those games on my Switch, but you, as a new Switch owner, as of today, you can't have those games, That's that mm-hmm. doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't sit very well with me. And I don't think any consumer should, you know, should be okay with something like that. Yeah, that's that's where I get hung up on it where if I can't get access to a physical copy, I'll use Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Torna, just as an example. That had a limited run in North America. It had a small print. And now if you want to buy a physical copy brand new, you go to eBay or other secondhand sellers, and you'll pay upwards of $100 for a game that retailed for, I believe, $40. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I have a secondary option. That option is I can go to the Nintendo Switch eShop and I can download that game for MSRP. I have that choice. Yes. I can say, I really want a physical copy. I will spend $150. Or I can say, digital is fine. I will spend 40 That second choice, that complementary option, makes a world of difference. In the case of 3D All-Stars and Fire Emblem, Nintendo stripped away both They've left us with no other choice except a secondhand seller. There could be someone who went to Amazon or any retailer and decided to buy a hundred Fire Emblem codes. And now they're going to flip them yep. for, let's say, $50. And you might say, $50 isn't that bad. This is a game that was selling on the eShop for seven bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. $50 exactly. is a substantial increase. 3D All Stars. Thankfully, in the case of that game, they flooded the market with physical copies. The game isn't rare. This game isn't going to become valuable. There are 12 million copies of the game circulating. So if you are planning to be a secondhand seller of this game, you might 
sell it for 80 bucks. And if you're okay with that, you know, do your thing, but know that you're, you are ripping off a person for no reason beyond greed. And Nintendo is the reason that happened. They are the ones creating that artificial scarcity because this is easily a product that should be available on the eShop. And when I see the counter argument of they might be separate releases down the line, maybe they are. We're talking way in the future. But Nintendo cannot do that in the immediate. And it's for one key reason. The second you let the consumer know, oh, we're going to release them as standalone releases, let's say by holiday 2021. A very small window from unavailability to resurface. Mm -hmm. They then educate you that you don't need to fear that FOMO effect. We're just going to re-release the game standalone in six months. Yeah. So would you, let's just use this as an upcoming scenario of potentiality. Nintendo announces Metroid Prime Trilogy for the second half of 2021. They again say this is going to be a limited time release. It's available from, let's say, October to the end of March. Very similar time frame to Mario 3D All-Stars. Now, you've learned... If I wait six months, I can just buy Metroid Prime 1 and Metroid Prime 3 from the eShop at the end of 2022, maybe. Would you buy that trilogy collection knowing yeah. that they will do a standalone release because they just proved that they would right. with the 3D All-Star right. in that scenario? Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, that FOMO effect of marketing trickery has lost its impact. Absolutely. I mean, so you yeah. can't do it again. Nintendo's really good at this stuff, you know. Um, they know exactly they know exactly how to extract the very very best out of um, their sales numbers when it comes to utilizing FOMO as a marketing tool. As as we've already said, I mean, look, Metroid Prime could easily um, get a very similar thing. It's one of those anniversary games, right? That's that's coming up. Donkey Kong is something else that is, you know, has an anniversary. I mean, nothing is off the table, you know, as what's next. Zelda, um, mm-hmm. z- you know, the Zelda collection could right. also have a very similar launch or uh, a very similar release window as Mario 3D mm-hmm. All-Stars has. It's it's something, and, like I said, they've done before and they will continue to do. And they did it before with Metroid Prime Trilogy. They Remember did, yeah. the limited edition on the Wii? Yes. It came in a nice collector's tin. That was a, it was available, I believe, I think it may have been six months, may have been a year. I'd have to check the exact print run. But people say, well, what's the difference between now and then? The difference between now and then is right now we have digital stores. The Wii did not offer Metroid Prime Trilogy on the Wii store. But I can turn on my Wii U right now and get Metroid Prime Trilogy. Yep. For, I think, $20. So when I see people use that as the counter-argument, they, oh, they did it for the release. How come no one cared then? It's not that no one cared then. It was, they didn't have a digital option at the time. And now they we do. There is no excuse to not make a digital game permanently available. By stripping it away, you're doing no favors to anybody. Just come out and say what it is. 
it's marketing. It's a marketing ploy to, you know, boost your sales as high as you can due to FOMO. And there was actually an article that came out this week that implied that this was exactly what Nintendo was doing. And it's on vice.com. It was the article by Patrick Klepek who wrote a very detailed article and talked to developers who had spoken with Nintendo and the developer who wished to remain anonymous gave a quote where they said, Nintendo, they have data that shows that re-releases of games tend to wither on wish lists. The manufactured FOMO helps them get those sales, or so they think. So Nintendo deliberately goes out of their way to look at this, and they know what they are doing. They have the data to back them up. They have what they need to justify this action from a business perspective. And what is shocking to me is that we have been vocal critics of this move dating back to last September. And numerous others have been very vocal about their displeasure of this business practice. And Nintendo didn't blink. No. They stuck to their beliefs of making these games limited availability and we called we looked at them and said change they called our bluff and they went through with it yep. mario 35 35 it's no longer accessible on nintendo switch online and that's a move that may be even more baffling than the removal of fire emblem and 3d all-star from the eShop. this was a game that was exclusive to nintendo switch online a service let me remind you, a service, we spend $20 a year to be a subscriber of. They gave us a game and then pulled it after six months of availability. This is a product that adds value to that service. And Nintendo looked at it and said, your time, your time's up. Bye. Do you think it's, so? They they just devalued Nintendo Switch Online. Do you think maybe on on that one, they're I'll, I'll say leaving that door open for a, a new style of um, online battle game that that's yes. you know from Metroid or Donkey Kong or Zelda or, or something like that. Yes, I do believe they will introduce another battle royale style game, probably. You know, in the very near future, my hope would be a Donkey Kong-style game so we can all experience the King of Kong in our own respective way. But even if they are to introduce another game to replace it, let's say, it doesn't justify the removal of it. Definitely not. Because there, yeah. there is no reason that this game cannot still operate. And they can say, oh, well, it's 35, it's the anniversary. Then increase the player number to 50. Yeah. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off the uh, way 
The way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. This this isn't Game Pass where you've got like, you know, 300 curated games and some games, you know, leave and some games get added. This is this is a completely different thing that we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's it's a Nintendo developed game. This is their own property. This isn't a deal they made with a third party to leave up on their service and they only agreed to a six month contract. Nintendo has the freedom to leave this game up as long as they want. They simply don't want to. And like I said, we're spending money to be on Nintendo Switch Online. There may be people who signed up for Nintendo Switch Online just to play Mario 35. And now that you've taken it away, that individual is going to cancel the subscription because you have taken away the one valuable aspect of it to them. Yeah. It, and it, it it's is. a really weird... I don't understand that type of marketing of we want to drive subscribers to our service. Let us use this game. But let's take it away after a you know, a certain period of time. Why? What purpose does that prove? It is very, very puzzling um, to try to understand, you know, the the thought process there, other than this is business. And for Nintendo, as far as the books, it's good business. As far as perception and how it looks to everyone out there, it's not good business. But... It, it's just another one of those things that really just proves that Nintendo, you know, doesn't care about the average person. Like it's, and I'm not picking on Nintendo in this scenario. It's just business, you know, companies, organizations, big companies. They, they're, they're not really interested in what the consumer feels about a product unless it's, you know, a class action lawsuit. And even then, you know, with Joy-Cons and stuff like that, that we, you know, we, that Nintendo is currently going through, even those things um, are being dealt with in their own way, right? We all, we already had um, uh, Richard Hogue on the show talking about about that stuff previously. So ultimately, Nintendo doesn't care about our feelings, Nate. And you know, we we've never once thought that they ever did. But at the end of the day, it's just you know, it's just one of those things that's just going to continue. It works for them. It makes them a lot of money. It makes it generates a lot of hype generates a lot of clicks on Twitter. It gets them lots of retweets, gets lots of people making videos about this topic, both for and against. And that's exactly what they want. That's They want people talking about this stuff, whether it's positive or negative, it doesn't matter. It's ultimately what they want. And it's, you know, it it's it's worked for them. And, and you know, you have, to, you have to applaud them for that. But unfortunately, it is um, very, very sad as, as a consumer of, and someone that likes Nintendo and likes the Switch, that these games artificially, you know, uh, uh, depart the the online store and we'll never see them again, most likely. Of the three, which would you say is the most egregious? Do you think it's Mario 35, Fire Emblem, or 3D All-Stars? Um, I think, now I'm a little bit, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to ask um, on this because I only played Mario 35 for 10 minutes and I thought it was cool, but it wasn't really my cup of tea. I think for me, probably Fire Emblem would be the most egregious because it is that that English translation of this game, an official English translation of this game that 
I, I might add is not running emulation or, or I think actually, I think it is running emulation, but they're injecting, um, you know, scripts into it to kind of translate the game on the fly. So there's, there's some pretty cool tech that that's going on behind that. So it's not just a game that, that you'll see come up on the Nintendo switch online service at a later date. Right. So I think the amount of work that they put into this and, I'm not sure who did it. Maybe Nerd did, did did the actual conversion themselves. But ultimately, I think for me, that's the one that, that hurts the most because, yeah, I mean, that's one of those games where um, I, I would be feeling like, you know, I feel like playing Fire Emblem again and um, you know, breaking out the Switch. And, you know, if unfortunately you don't have it, then you'll never be able to play it. And there could come a point where mm-hmm. all the physical copies out there those codes have all been redeemed anyway, so there's 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 zero chance because that physical copy is not actually physical. It's just you know it's physical, but there's no there's no physical cartridge. So this this game could well and truly get lost forever. And I think for me that's that's the one that that hurts the most is the most most egregious. Yeah, Fire Emblem. I think I would agree that it is the most egregious of the three. Because it's for all the points you brought up, Mario Thirty Five is definitely up there. Because yeah, this was a game. This was a game that I could understand that when they introduced it, you know, late last year, maybe they had concerns about overall interest. Where they say, you know, we're going to make it limited because we figure the player base is going to dwindle over the the coming months, and once we take it away, there'll be a vocal audience, but not that many people are really going to care. Every time I booted it up, you know, you got a room instantly. I understand it's only 34 other players, but it seemed like interest had remained high. And people had either even done a data mine, which suggested maybe new levels would be introduced. And then Nintendo just pulls it. This is the type of game Nintendo could have looked at server data and said, hey, we're still bringing in, just for a number, a million active players every day. Let's backtrack on this one. Right. Or let's announce we're pulling it at the end of March, but we have intentions of bringing it back later in 2021 with a higher player count. Just so it's, okay, you're taking it away, but we know it's coming back. It's going to be even better. It would have calmed people down, and it would have at least showed that Nintendo was willing to listen and keep fans happy. Instead... They didn't blink. They said, this is what we said. We're sticking to it. Say bye. And there goes the game. And it's not even a game you can play offline. It's yeah. you no longer have access to this game. Well, I think that's the thing that makes Fire Emblem so egregious to me is that, you know, once we're beyond the end of the Switch and whatever is after the Switch, mm-hmm. if you have the Fire Emblem game on your machine, you can still play it. doesn't matter if you're online or if you're offline, right? It'll just still work. And Correct, and that for me is the is the part that really kind of hurts on, on that one. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, overall, this yes, we knew it was coming, but this is still a very dark day for Nintendo. Yep. This is not something the industry should embrace, and this goes for any company. Nintendo is just the recent example of this, but if you're Microsoft, Sony, Stadia, whoever. This is not an industry practice that you want to look to and say, let's replicate that. 
do not release a game on a digital platform for six months and then pull it. If you want to shut down a server to a game like Evolve because there was no active user base, that's one thing. The game still exists, and if you could play it offline, at least you can play the game like, what was that horrendous EA game, ATB? Yes, ATB. I believe it yep, was. That's the one. Like, it was like they shut down the servers like within like a month because nobody bought the game. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, nobody's playing the game. We have the data to show nobody's playing our game. Nobody bought our game. It's still, it's still a very shoddy practice to shut down and deprive those individuals who bought your game access to it. But with Nintendo here, they just said, we're not doing this anymore, bye. So the industry should not look to Nintendo and say, let's replicate this. This is the exact thing you do not want to do. So look to it and say, let's not do what Nintendo did. Let's do better. But having said that, we had Sony. And Sony did not have a good week themselves. They had a pretty rough week, all, all things considered, I would say. Yeah, Sony had a really rough week, but for a different reason. But the two are very similar in nature. Sony has officially detailed that they are closing the PlayStation Store on PlayStation 3 on July 2nd, and that the PlayStation Vita and PlayStation Portable stores as well. PlayStation Vita Store will shut down on August 27th, and the PlayStation Portable Store will officially retire on July 2nd, same date as the PlayStation 3. And this, like Nintendo... From a business standpoint, I understand this. This is likely a case, at least for the PSP and the PlayStation 3, where you're looking at it and you're probably Sony's gauging overall sales on the platform saying it's costing us more money to keep these servers operating than what we're bringing in in overall revenue. And, you know, again, from a business standpoint, it may make sense. The PlayStation Vita... This is a very different matter. This is a system that, yes, it was discontinued in 2019. So we'll say two years. But this is a platform that has received brand new games and was set to receive new games later this spring and even this summer. And Sony was selling dev kits for this platform as recently as last week, the PlayStation Vita handling of the store being shut down is nothing short of a disaster from Sony. They did not communicate with business partners whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's not a good look for them. Um, the optics here are, are not great at all. I mean, from what I understand, only a very select few of first parties were informed that this was going to happen before it happened. And, you know, if they were selling dev kits or if they were, you know, selling equipment to developers, then obviously the people that are responsible for that particular part of Sony that, that you know, handle hardware and, and sending them out didn't get the memo either. So where did this come from? I mean, it obviously came from the top you know, or somewhere up the top and... I think a lot of people were blindsided by this and, and some people within Sony themselves. And, but I think ultimately the, 
you know, the real sad part about this is that there are studios out there that are working on Vita games. And look, you know, you may say, well, why, why in their right mind would they be working on Vita games in 2021? And the answer to that is because they have sales data that, that proves that they can make money you know, making Vita games, right? So they're not doing it, you know, to sell 500 copies. They're doing it because they have, you know, some some sales figures, marketing figures that show that they can turn around a profit making Vita games. So there's still a market there, you know, to, to, to make games and sell games and make money doing that. And I think that the sad part is that these these developers now are left with a very difficult decision because there's literally a four-month grace period now or five-month grace period between now and, and August when the store is ultimately going to get shut down. So do you do you crunch and try to complete your game maybe in the next six to eight weeks and then get it through certification, which is going to take at least another three to four weeks and then maybe get four or five weeks on the store before it goes down and hopefully you can recoup your cost or do you just pull the plug right um and pulling the plug means you've obviously spent a lot of money on on the game that you may not ever see again that just may be money that's that's gone down the drain because it's not that trivial just to say well we'll just port this to the ps5 or we'll just port this to the switch you know it all depends on what middleware the game was using to begin with was it using game maker or was it using unity or was it some custom thing it's it's very very unfortunate and i think ultimately sony really should have given more of a grace period for the vita specifically like the ps3 and the the psp stuff i i agree with you on that but the Vita stuff, I feel like they could have at least given till, you know, January 1 or, um, you know, March 31st next year or just some window of time where developers can complete their outstanding business on the Vita, um, not necessarily make anything new, but give them a heads up and say, we're going to give you guys another 12 months. So finish what you're working on. You'll have plenty of time to ship it and um put it on our store but you know we cannot we can at that point not approve any new games that you try to apply for um and go through that same process and obviously they didn't do that they just you know they just basically took the knife out and just severed the cord and uh, i think that's that's the real real sad part as a developer and the confusing part as well and yeah the situation with the playstation vita is it's very aggressive. There's the reports out there that developers literally as recent as last week were asking for dev kits. Yep. And this is a case where if you were Sony, wouldn't you want to be transparent to your development partners and say at least six months ago, maybe even a year ago saying our intention is to shut down the PlayStation Vita store in the summer of 2021 we are no longer distributing dev kits or relay information to these developer partners of any timetable for such an action 
the fact that everyone was blindsided by this. I've seen, I believe it was in an article where a developer said, we had a PlayStation Vita game scheduled to come out later this summer. Well, we're not going to do that now because the game was going to come out in June or July. What's the point of us working on the game for the next three months only for it to have maybe four or five weeks on the store? And then it's gone. So they shifted their priorities to a Switch port. That should never had been a decision that came via news. That should have been official communication from Sony to the development partner. Absolutely. That, the the and, the account manager that deals with their that particular developer's account should have given them a heads up, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if Sony was really this radio silent with the majority of development partners, this is a major failure on their part. And of the three, the PlayStation Vita is definitely a a disaster. Yeah. In terms of communications, this was horrendous management. And I get it. The platform has been discontinued for two years, but it's less than a decade old. It seems a little early to shut down the PlayStation Vita store. There's no reason it can't still operate for another couple of years. I mean, as is said in this trio of hardware, the PlayStation Portable store is just now shutting down. So, like, think about that. <laughs> that system's been around since forever, like 2004. Five, I think it came out, or two thousand and four. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very long time. Yeah, like this is something that's fifteen years plus on market, and Sony is rushing to shut down the PlayStation Vita store. And as far as we can tell, it's still a very active base. There are people still buying Vita games. Developers are still supporting the Vita with new software. So, what was the rush? What was the cause of complete lack of communication to developers in this case? And I mean, if I'm a developer, if I'm a developer right now, and this is how Sony treated me with the PlayStation Vita, and they said to me, hey, why don't you make a game for the PlayStation 5? In the back of my mind, I'm saying, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to make a PlayStation 5 game for you guys after the way you treated me, knowing I was making a PlayStation Vita game that I had coming out later this year? And you just never gave me any warning that I was only going to have three weeks of digital shelf time. Yeah. Like, I'm not making a game for you. I'd go to any other company before I'd come back to you, especially on an exclusive basis. Like, right. No way. You you treated me incredibly poorly, and you don't deserve my respect or my support right now. You have to earn it back. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what this says to me, is Sony didn't respect their development partners. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking at a tweet from uh, Hank Nyberg, who's working on the game Battleaxe, and uh, I was talking to him today, and he was, he's, he's in a very similar situation. He, um, he basically came out and said that, um, that Battleaxe is coming out for the Switch. It just went gold. Um, I think they just passed it for that game, and I'll definitely be checking it out because it looks really cool. But he said that they had a Vita game well, a Vita port in the works that will never see the light of day. And, you know, they just had to pull the plug on it. And it's it's very, very, very unfortunate to, to see that and to read those stories from from developers that have obviously worked very hard and, and just to be blindsided and not get any heads up that this was coming just makes it really, really 
you know, really, really sad overall. But I did want to ask you a question about the PS3 and the PSP stuff. So, look, you're right. Those those systems have been around for a long time. Those stores, it's 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 almost (laughs) um, surprising that you can still access the PS3 store in 2021 yeah very surprising that you can download psp games in 2021 but here's my question nate so sony used to be the kings of backward compatibility like when you owned a ps2 you could run ps1 games didn't even have to mess around you could even use like ps1 memory cards in your ps2 and when the ps3 came out you could play both ps1 and ps2 games so what's happened? I mean, we could. I mean, it's easier to say it's Jim Ryan, right? I mean, Jim yeah, Ryan is definitely funny. not helping. But this all start, <laughs> this all kind of started with the PS4. They they kind of lost sight of yeah. their legacy, their history. Um, mm-hmm. Other than those, you know, PlayStation Two classics you could play on on PS4, which was only like maybe fifteen games. So. Where did what happened with Sony where they were just so good at this stuff and and now they they really don't seem to care about their history anymore? It's I mean it's a complex question and when I view it I have to laugh because one of the highlight PlayStation 5 launch games was Astrobot. And it's a game built entirely around honoring and celebrating the legacy of the PlayStation line. You get a PlayStation 1, you get a PlayStation 2, a PlayStation 3, you see the Vita, the PSP, the iToy. You even get that weird little handheld egg thing that they released in Japan. I forget the name of it. And now look at Sony. As you mentioned, it doesn't seem like they respect that legacy anymore. And maybe it's not so much a lack of respect for legacy as much as it was Sony wasn't very proactive when it came time to build an infrastructure to support their legacy software. And this is one area I'm going to give Microsoft applause. With the Xbox One, they dedicated a huge amount of resources to making Xbox original, Xbox 360 games compatible on the Xbox One. They didn't get every single game. Some games still, you know, due to licensing issues or what have you, aren't on the platform yet. They are continuing to work towards getting those games on the platform. And when you look at the PlayStation 4, Sony never really showed any public effort to get PlayStation 1 games on that platform. PlayStation 2, as you mentioned, we had the PS2 Classics, which is not backwards compatibility. It was emulation, and they were native PlayStation 4 releases of these PS2 games. So they never really looked to bring that legacy to the PlayStation 4. So now we come to the PlayStation 5. And we are now really encountering the horrors, I guess you would say, of those actions. Whereas Microsoft went forward and invested and unified their storefront so that you could play Ninja Gaiden Black, so that you could access your Xbox 360 game library on your Xbox One, or now even on your Series X and Series S, you can honor that whole Xbox legacy 
with no real hurdles shows you that Microsoft is respecting their back catalog, whereas Sony didn't feel as though they had to put in the effort. And this may change. We may see PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games come to the PlayStation 5 in time. And if they are going to, this week was the week for Sony to announce those intents. All they had to do with the announcement of them shutting down the PlayStation 3 store and PSP store and PlayStation Vita store was come out and say, in the future, we have intentions of bringing PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, and let's get a little crazy here and say PlayStation Portable and PlayStation Vita titles to PlayStation 5. It's not going to be this year. We'll share details at a later time. It's like, okay. I can rest a little easier knowing all my digital purchases on my Vita, PSP, and even PS... Well, not PS3, because that's a whole different nightmare. <laughs> yes. But the PlayStation 1 games I bought on my PSP, I know I can play those on my PS3 or my PS5 sometime down the line. That gives you peace of mind. And this was the time for Sony to announce such an initiative. The fact that they didn't really makes you wonder, how are they approaching backwards compatibility this generation? Are we going to get access to PS1 or PS2 or PSP or Vita games on the PlayStation 5? We don't know. It's hard to say is it? because, I mean, you know, we've mm-hmm. seen some patents that have been um, come out in yes. recent times, maybe hinting that they're looking at something or in the future we may see something. But it also, you know, you, you got to look at, at their, I guess, you know, how they've responded in the last couple of years and what we've heard from Jim Ryan, you know, his, his thoughts. And it just doesn't seem like it's within their interest right now, you know. Even, yeah. even the PlayStation 1 Classic. Yeah, Look how I mean, and that shoddy that release was. <laughs> that was awful. I mean, and that may change, <laughs> you know, but I think, and I'm, I made a video on this um, earlier this week, but I, I do feel like that the first two years of the PS5 is going to be focused on PS5, not backward compatibility, right? Like, yeah. you know, getting out getting out more PS5 games, getting those first party games that they promised that they would they would ship. Um, a focus on PSVR two, probably at some point next year, I think we'll see the hardware for that um, come out. So I think, you know, their first few years is really just you know, make PS5 games, which is fine. I, I don't, I don't fault them for that at all. I think that's the right approach. Yes, but unfortunately, they don't have that. That this, yeah, that pillar that Microsoft has, where yes, you can go back and, and play some of your old classics that that you bought years ago that are tied to your account. Yeah, this is something that Sony should have been building upon with the PlayStation Four. So that when we transition to the PlayStation 5, we have that unified storefront because we do we do kind of have one. We can still access all our digital PlayStation 4 games on our PS5. So it does exist, but they should have started to build a, you know, an expansion to include those PlayStation 1 games that we had downloaded on our PS3 or our Vita or our PSP to be included And then when you launch the PS5, you say, we also have PlayStation 1 backwards compatibility. And because it's linked to your account, you have access to all those previous purchases. 
That's something that the consumers want to see. It's something that Microsoft has delivered. Every digital game on your Microsoft account dating back to the 360, you still have access to unless there are licensing issues. Yeah. And, you know, the game was delisted. Actually, even in that case, would you still have, I think you could still download it um, in some cases. In some cases games, you can. I, I have, um, yeah. so I have uh, Ninja Turtles tied to my mm-hmm. uh, account. I have Simpsons tied to my account. I can't play those games on my Xbox Series S. They're not available. Right. Right. Yeah. Those were Konami releases and they don't have the yeah. license anymore to those. So, but like generally, as, except for the licensing issues, you can redownload these games. That is an amazing setup. And that's something that Sony and Nintendo, Nintendo is not innocent in this. They also have to begin this unification of storefronts and with accounts in general. Like the next Switch, if for some weird reason Nintendo decides to switch their account system again and we don't have access to our current digital games, that deserves outcry. That deserves a huge backlash because we can look at the Wii U. You had the virtual console. People bought Earthbound Beginnings, whatever else. The fact that those type of games, virtual console games, is not compatible on the Switch, it's only explained because we don't have a virtual console. We have Nintendo Switch Online service. But that's it's still troubling that when the Wii U store or the 3DS store shut down, and they will, it's just a matter of time, you're going to lose access to that software. You can re-download it. But those games are gone, very similar to the PS3 and PSP situation here. You're going to lose access to all that stuff again. And it's basically because Nintendo couldn't figure out how to create an architecture and an account system that worked across all their platforms. They finally figured it out with the Switch, or so we hope. And now they can move forward and build the system that Microsoft currently has in place. Microsoft is the front runner in this area. Uh, Easily, easily, yeah. Their account system is well-constructed. The support of their legacy software is admirable. And this is something that Sony and Nintendo have to look to match. Maybe they will. Maybe they will get there. I hope they do. Because that's something that the industry needs. Overall, with the PS3 and the PSP situation, as we mentioned, this is very very old hardware this is something that i'm sure a lot of people were kind of surprised you can even load up the ps3 store in 2021 because it barely loaded when the playstation 3 was in its prime and there's a lot of good software on the ps3 the ps3 on is unfortunately a different beast for sony to slay altogether because cell continues to be a burden emulation is getting better I don't know if we'll ever see PS3 backwards compatibility come to the PlayStation 5, at least not natively, but maybe one day we can hope. Oh, it's it's a tough sell for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, thanks. and I, I've made videos and I've talked about this before, but ultimately the problem with PS3 is, look, it's not, it's, it's you know, it can be solved. You, you can run PS3 games on a PS5, but the problem is this. If you're trying to pitch this, if you're if you're trying to pitch this to the executive team at Sony and say, 
I've got a really good idea about how we can get PlayStation 3 games running on the PS5, building an emulator. The executive team is going to turn around and ask you, how long is it going to take and how much money is it going to cost? And you're going to be sitting there thinking, um, I don't know the answer to that. It could take three years. It could take five years. We could spend $5 million. We could spend $50 million. We don't know how long this is going to take. And mm-hmm. that's that's the difficult part is how do you justify that to, you know, the teams, the executive teams to say, this is going to be your return on investment if we do this. Because if Sony did put together a, um, a Game Pass style equivalent where you could play older games, um, and I'm not necessarily talking about games tied to your account, but start offering those those classics um, other than the you know the the ten PS2 games they currently have, but you know offer a bigger list of games that that are a true classic PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, PSP, um, PS Vita games. I think you know, and and then uh, you know add that as as a part of your playstation plus membership or whatever i mean it's just going to make money by itself i mean there's there's no real reason to to not do that in that sense because it's that thing where the people that have netflix subscriptions don't want to cancel them they want to continue them just to you know keep checking out what's on the service next month and whatnot and i think that's what they really need to start thinking about start offering these things up in a service type model where you know, you have a Game Pass style API or a Game Pass style interface where you can allow people to, to play these games again. Because I think if you start doing that on, on the PlayStation 5 and beyond, you know, we won't have to have these conversations about Sony not respecting their, you know, their history anymore. I think that would be good strides towards getting that, you know, um, getting, you know, good with, with the community that, that def- desperately wants to see this happen for them. I do wonder if Sony looks at PlayStation Now and sees maybe a low interest percentage of their PlayStation 2 offerings, and that makes them a little hesitant on really looking at that back catalog, going back to PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 to bring them forward with a backwards compatibility program to modern systems. I think I think you're right, but they also have to remember that the PlayStation 2 was the highest selling game console as of the 1st of April, 2021. So they have to somehow try to tap into that and figure out how to, you know, get get people um, excited about that. And I think that's what their marketing team needs to really focus on. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they have to do something here. They can't just, just say, look, you know, we've looked at the data and no one really wants to play old games anymore. I mean, in one in one sense, you could say that. But look at Microsoft. I mean, how many people are playing older games on their service, right? A lot of people are, but right. if you if you kind of pull out individual titles, what's you know, games like Banjo are probably pl- being played quite a lot, but something like um, Crimson Dragon, for example, probably no one's <laughs> playing that game, but it's still there. It's still there on the service should you choose to play it. And I think, you know, that's what it comes down to. You, you offer people the choice to, to give them the, the choice to play whatever they want and mm-hmm. they will remain loyal to you. They'll remain on that service, you know, even if there is a, a price that, that they kind of charge 
for that particular service. And I think that's what Sony needs to look at. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo gives us Urban Champion on every platform. <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people are booting up Urban Champion on a virtual console or Nintendo Switch Online service. And, you know, Sony, I want to see Sony really embrace that legacy. I want them to bring PlayStation 1 backwards compatibility, PlayStation 2 backwards compatibility. If they can somehow implement PSP and PlayStation Vita backwards compatibility, even if it is just the digital account linked games, I think that would really satisfy the needs of fans. PlayStation 1 games, I just want access to the digital library that I have purchased over the last 15 years across the platforms that you offered those titles on. Right. And like with the PS3, I understand the complexities with backwards compatibility. One of my favorite PlayStation 3 games is Siren. It never got a physical release in North America. That game is forever locked to my PS3. Yeah. That's a shame. Hopefully, maybe one day they'll remaster the game since they've disbanded the entire studio that made it. Um, you know, it's it's a shame when we can't access those types of games. And as the consumer, way back during the PS3, 360 generation, even the Wii, digital was brand new to us. We didn't know that they were going to flub up the future handling with the account systems or backwards compatibility or anything. We just believed that these were the type of titles that were going to stay with us because all we could look to at the time was a PC model where you could look to Steam and your game stayed with you wherever you put your Steam account. We didn't know Sony was going to make the PS3 a backwards compatible nightmare. We didn't know Nintendo was going to be Nintendo and Nintendo things up. <laughs> We've since learned the market has changed. Yeah. We now have a precedent of how digital media has to be distributed and handled moving into the future. And Microsoft and the PC market has set that precedent. And it's now a race for Sony and Nintendo to catch up. I believe they will, given enough time. It's just unfortunate that we really have to look back at these type of platforms and say, hey, there's games on there that if my system breaks, I'm never gaining access to again. Do you think, and, that, do you think they will, though, or do you think they'll just do what they're currently doing, and that is just remaking these games? Like, you know, bring, you know, porting the, the Wii U games to the Switch, and, and in Sony's case, they're, you know, they're remaking games like Demon's Souls and Shadows of the Colossus, you know, those classics that, they don't want to emulate, but they'll they they will just rather pay, you know, Blue Point lots of money to to bring them to a new generation. The problem with that business path is that we only get the cream of the crop. We're never going to see Nintendo make a deluxe deluxe version of Fatal Frame. Yeah, that's trapped on the Wii U. We didn't get a retail copy in North America. It exists purely as a digital game. And eventually, you know, the Wii U is going to, it's basically forgotten as it is. That game will be forgotten to time. And those are the real crimes in this situation. Games like, I mean, let's, it's a random PS3 game beyond Siren that was digital only that will never come to another platform. I'll use Pixel Junk Eden 1. Mm-hmm. It's never released, I believe, on another platform outside of the PlayStation 3. We just got a sequel to it. 
believe it was earlier this year or in December. I have it on Switch. It's a fantastic game. I think it's a damn shame Pixel Junk Eden 1 isn't on other platforms. Yeah. And there are so many cases like that. Those are the type of games that you're simply not going to get a remaster. They're not going to get a re-release because not many people remember them. They're remembered when you look back at it and say, man, I wish I could play that game again. And it's we can still download all these digital games that we owe, that we owned on these platforms. The problem is they're not easy to repair. If your if your PlayStation 3 breaks right now, finding the necessary piece to repair it can be quite the hassle. Sony no longer offers official repairs. So it's not even like a case of hey, you shut down the servers or the, shut down the stores, that's fine because I can still turn on my system and play these games. If something happens to the system, it's just, oh, well, I have $600 worth of digital games on there. Can never access them again. Yeah. That's a shame. <laughs> and PS3 is notorious for breaking down as well. Yeah, especially the George Foreman lot <laughs> 60 gigabyte grill. Yeah. That will yellow light of death on you if it hasn't already. Mine just recently did and unfortunately has a disc stuck in it. But, you know, of the three with the PSP, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation Vita, the PlayStation Vita is definitely the worst of the three simply because Sony gave no communication to development partners. It seems very rushed. And there has to be a reason behind it. that It's definitely business motivated, and I guess it's financial. But that seems very preemptive. And there's definitely something behind it to cause them to shut this down in, you know, approximately six months from announcement to shut down. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, out of out of all of them, the Vita one really is is the saddest one, and it's just got that human aspect to that. That I mean, the other ones do as well, obviously, but it's um, you know you're affecting you're affecting people's lives, people's careers, maybe their jobs, you know, um, maybe their their forecasts, their budgets things like that um and sure again you know you could say well why are you budgeting something for the vita in 2021 but like i said you know um if there are if there are sales numbers if there's marketing data if they have sales reports that that indicate that they were making good money on on vita games then they have every reason to do so and to to get that just pulled away from you pretty much you know without any heads up at all is is very unfortunate Absolutely. Now, do you think PlayStation 3, PlayStation Vita, or PlayStation Portable titles will see a surge in sales between now and July and August when their respective stores see a shutdown? Um, yes, I do, Nate. I don't know if I would say a surge in sales, but I do. I would expect spending to to increase over the next few months. I'm already thinking about some titles that I want to grab for the Vita before that store goes away myself. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would say that you know it might be something that we'll see. You know, games like Puppeteer um, would be something that I would you know be jumping on on the PS3 if I didn't already have that game. You know, there's there's definitely a lot of lot of things that that I would expect um, people to start looking at buying. And I've already seen yeah. news articles coming out about hey you should pick up these games on 
the um, respective storefronts before they they disappear. So there's already a lot of lot of announcements, a lot of hype around this stuff. So yeah, I, I would I would expect spending to to you know to increase. I don't know if it's going to be like you know insane amounts of money, but it, it would definitely be a lot bigger than than what they've had over the last you know couple of years. There is one game I have to pick up on the PlayStation Three, and the only reason I hadn't picked it up yet is because I forgot it came out, and I'll be curious if it's a game you own, but it's House of the Dead 4. Oh, I don't have that one, actually. Um, Never got a physical release in North America, and it's not expensive. It's actually a very cheap oh, game. I might, and I might get that, yeah. I'm mad at myself that I didn't buy it when it first came out. So when this news came out, I was like, I was just reading some articles. I saw someone like, House of the Dead 4. I was like oh my God, that did come out on PlayStation 3. And I'm going to buy it this week because I, I love that franchise and I need to get it before I can't because I'll be mad at myself if I don't get it. One one of the games that I do own physically that is from Japan only was mm-hmm. Strider. So that never got a physical in North America, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that's one that I have. Um, I thought you were going to ask me about that one. And I was going to say, yeah, I have it, but no, I don't have House of the Dead, so I'll have to check that one. See, we just sold two copies of House of the Dead 4. <laughs> we are waiting for our checks, Sega. You, you just increased the price on eBay 10 times, Nate. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely some PS3 games out there. Um, Vita and PSP, I think I have any of the games I was interested in, I have at this point. I don't think there's like any hidden gem that I'd be actively hunting for at this point. Um, the PlayStation 1 games, you know, as they were coming out, I was buying them then. So I think House of the Dead 4 is really the only new purchase I have to make between now and July. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to pick that one up too. I, I love that series. <laughs> so between Sony and Nintendo here, <sighs> which company would you say had the worst week? <laughs> well, I think... I think... <laughs> perception wise you know to the public i think sony had the worst week you know if you just kind of lay it all down on the table but how i feel personally i feel like nintendo is more at fault than than sony is yeah you know i'll agree with you there i think from a perception and optics point Sony looks worse. This was sprung on us very last minute, very limited window in terms of the news breaking and the shutdowns occurring. Nintendo did announce this. They were transparent with it way back in September when they announced these games. But where I will hold Nintendo a little more responsible is that in Sony's case, we're looking at two of the three are dated, if not ancient hardware it's unreasonable to really expect the stores to remain operating on those native platforms after 15 years of, you know, vacancy. Whereas Nintendo, they're doing this on their own. They decided to pull Mario 35th. They decided to pull 3D All-Stars from digital and store shelves along with Fire Emblem. None of this had to happen. Leaving the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Portable store operating in this day and age, you can understand why they would take it down. The PlayStation Vita, 
is a case of they should have given a lot more notice to everyone involved. But you can understand that, hey, this is a system that was discontinued two years ago. Maybe you'll leave up that store for another two years, let all those releases happen first. Nintendo, there was no reason for these games to go. Yeah, It was purely a marketing decision, and it's inexcusable. Not to say Sony's actions are excusable. Both are bad industry precedents, and we know it's just a matter of time before we hear from Nintendo that they're shutting down the 3DS and the Wii U eShops. It's going to happen sooner than later. We've already seen some Wii U games get delisted and 3DS games get delisted. So it seems like it's probably just over the horizon. The sun will set on those two platform storefronts incredibly soon. So, but right now, I would have, I, man, publicly, yes, Sony looks worse. But I don't like Nintendo's practice this week. This is something that could have been avoided. Yeah, agree. Now we can move into some of the Streamlab questions this week because we have quite a few. And our first Streamlab comes from Jackie G, who donated a dollar and writes, If the Bandai Namco Next presentation is real, how soon do you reckon it will happen? Theoretically, if Tales of Arise was going to be there, it would have to happen before June to fit in what they've announced so far. If there is a Bandai Namco next presentation, I would honestly assume it would be middle half of May around E3 time. I think they'd want to kind of keep it in that window to generate some excitement. But I'll give a more general window. I'll say second half of April to mid-May, if it's real. Then had a $5 donation from The Names James, who writes, I was surprised by the conversation around Switch Pro backwards compatibility because the X1 is mobile arm. I assume the Switch revisions would be like phone SOCs. How does a game like Call of Duty Mobile run through SOC generations? Do they have to patch yearly? Um, generally speaking, no, they should just be compatible. The difference between the Switch revision SOC and something like, you know, an Android device or a phone is that the NVIDIA graphics API, NVN, and, and the low-level microcode and and all that stuff um, needs, to, needs to run on, on the newer SOC. So I think there's work that needs to be done there to, to, you know, to get, get those, get those running something like the Android device. You're basically using arm based chips from a very, very similar family. Um, the APIs are very well developed and matured out by now where it's something that you can just build, you know, um, a kernel on top of these devices pretty easily and then run those games on top of that kernel. But the Switch stuff is, its number one, it's proprietary. Um, it's fairly new as far as compared to the Android stuff. And yeah, I mean, um, if we're talking about NVIDIA building a new chip, then they have to ensure that it is compatible with their existing you know, TX1. A very good detailed answer. 
and had a $3 donation from Corey, who writes, I love the Fallout series and have held out hope of it coming to Switch. I thought Skyrim was them getting their footing for it. With Microsoft buying Bethesda, should I continue to hope? Or take my hopes behind the shed and bury it? Keep it up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's time to take old Yeller out back. <laughs> It's it's not to say it's impossible for such a release to happen. It's still something that Microsoft could say, hey, Bethesda, you want to port Fallout 4 or New Vegas to the Switch because you were working on it? We support that. We have to remember Bethesda is still going to operate as its own publishing label, even under Microsoft's umbrella. So such releases are still possible. Are they, They're just more unlikely. So I'd still, yeah, I wouldn't hold out hope. It might be a sliver of a chance, but I wouldn't be waiting on Fallout to come to Switch anytime soon. Then had a $1 donation from Liam Werner. Writes, in the last episode, you suggested a Switch Lite Pro with DLSS around 2024. I get that's pure speculation, but if it does happen, why wouldn't Nintendo enable DLSS and handheld for the Switch Pro? We technically don't know that they aren't, but it's assumed. Well, correct. We don't know that they aren't going to have DLSS and handheld mode of the Switch revision. It very well may. It may not. We don't know those details and specifics yet. The best case scenario is that it will be there. Because as we talked in a previous episode with John Linneman of Digital Foundry, it could actually use less battery and energy to upscale an image from like 540p to 720p than the native 720p image. So it's definitely a possibility that it is going to be used in handheld mode. We simply have to wait for those specifics to come to light. We then had a $3 donation from Jared Helder, who writes, developers are increasingly relying on patches to improve performance after release or in some cases, fixing broken games. Does this mean that if you buy Cyberpunk for PlayStation 4 20 years from now, a patch won't be available? Do you see this trend continuing? I do see the trend continuing as far as games being rushed to market. I think publishers mm -hmm. have their own ideas about you know when they want games to be released, and sometimes... You know, the, the the judgment is clouded based on the dollar signs that are, uh, you know, they're thinking about they're going to make if the game doesn't come out for the holiday season that they may lose, you know, some traction. They may, they may lose money on that. But look, as far as playing Cyberpunk on the PS4, you know, 20 years from now, I mean, hopefully it should be, 100% buttoned up in a really, really good experience, right? I mean, hopefully that game will get fixed um, completely and then we can move on. But it, it, there's never any guarantees, you know, with, with this. It, it may be something that CD Projekt Red may fix to the best of their ability, but ultimately you got to, you know, you got to call it, right? You got to call it and then move on to the next thing. So... Um, but I think they'll they'll um, come good on their on their word that they will you know fix this game. It's just it's a matter of it just depends on how long that's going to be. Um, mm -hmm. I think ultimately, 
the the perception was, oh, it's it's just a, a launch issue. We're going to get that fixed for you in the next couple of months. But we quickly realized that that's no longer no longer true. Um, and we're probably looking, honestly, Nate, we're probably looking at another eighteen months before I, I, I would say that that game is is buttoned up and and completed. Man, that sounds optimistic. And I mean, I guess to the point of if you were to buy Cyberpunk in twenty years that the game could potentially be a mess. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you had a physical copy that if the servers for patches are inoperable and you still had, we'll say that launch physical copy that never got a reprint with any of the updates, you would be playing the absolute worst version of the game released and you wouldn't be able to access any patches they need to um and microsoft used to do this in the 360 days i don't know if they do it anymore they probably don't but you could download title updates and then put them on a usb stick and then just apply patch from a usb stick they need to come up with a way to do that i think um you know if in case these servers go down and and you do want to play cyberpunk but you don't want to play the 1.0 version that's on your on your disc I guess the only caveat there was patches back in the 360 were like eight megabytes. Yeah. Now they're eight yeah. gigabytes. Literally <laughs> double the size of the actual game. Yeah, that's a good point. We've had, had a dollar donation from Zeebs14. Right, hey, Nate and MVG, why do you think the Metroid games sell only average? I really don't get that. The series is very high rated. Super Metroid and Metroid Prime even belong to the best video games ever made. It's really a matter of just appeal. The Metroid series, for whatever reason, has very limited reach and appeal. Metroid Prime, when it shifted into first person, was a revolutionary moment. It definitely brought in new interest from the gaming community. But we have to remember, it was on the GameCube, one of Nintendo's worst-selling home consoles. And by shifting to first person, especially in the year it did, it was going up against still the perception of Halo. First person was Halo during that generation. And Metroid Prime wasn't a first person shooter. It was a first person adventure game. Super Metroid, it sold well on the Super NES. I mean, by no means a, you know, something, it's nothing that we would consider a headline sale by today's standards, but Metroid really is just about perception. Nintendo has to do a better job of marketing it and really expanding that reach beyond the scope of, unfortunately, a niche series. Hopefully Metroid Prime 4 or a new 2D Metroid for the Switch is able to do that. We've seen a lot of franchises come to Switch and find a rebirth in terms of success. So maybe this is going to be the generation for Metroid to really expand its reach and achieve new heights and become mainstream popular. We'll find out when we get an original Metroid game on Switch. We then had a $3 donation from Starwin88, who writes, What's up, Nate and MVG? Big fan of the show. I wanted to know which port has the most likelihood of coming out this year for the Nintendo Switch. Metal Gear Solid HD PS3 Xbox Collection, Dead Space Collection, or Batman Arkham Collection. None of the above. Pick one. <laughs> if I had to pick one, I would choose Metroid. I would choose Metal Gear Solid. I would choose Batman. 
you would. <laughs> Actually, that's a great series of games, the Arkham games, especially if it includes Origins. Yeah, I, had- th- I think that could, if it if it did happen, that could sell pretty well yeah. on the Switch. But Metal Gear Solid two and three and Peace Walker on Switch. Yeah, I mean that's you know nice. that's a unicorn. Sorry, Dead Space. I mean, I would love Dead Space as well, but we're talking about <laughs> electronic arts here, so you know. Good point. We have to consider that. <laughs> and then Starwin88 followed up with another $3 donation and wrote, What's up, Nate and MVG? I wanted to know why certain games on Switch don't support online play like their original releases. Titles such as Assassin's Creed Rebel Collection, Bulletstorm Duke Nukem, Star Wars Republic Commando, etc. Why is that, MVG? Oh, I, I think... I think ultimately look i don't want to say i don't want to say these games have been rushed to the switch because that that's not the right thing to say but i do think that they've taken a look at the data surrounding these games and they've decided that look multiplayer isn't really something that we're going to pursue because i know i talked about return on investment uh previously but it's one of those things where it's not may not necessarily be worth the amount of time to implement given um, what they would expect to see from the multiplayer. And look, we also got to be honest, the Nintendo Switch online service isn't particularly great. So um, I think, you know, sometimes you just got to make some hard decisions and I think that's what they do in these situations. Yeah, it's definitely not a case of being rushed as much as underfunded and right. understaffed because some games on switch i can use recent examples like the rbi baseball games they don't have online on the switch version while the other platforms do have online and it's really just a matter of the switch version is not priority they are given this amount of time to make that version with just x amount of money and such a feature simply isn't on that checklist to get done and it's you know just really as simple as that in most cases but if the switch had probably a better setup for the online network and they saw enough user data that suggested online is a vital aspect to switch gaming you would see publishers prioritize it but i don't believe there's enough information for them to reference to make it a priority in a lot of these ports then had a three dollar and 97 cent donation from matanui who writes sup my dudes asked on the spawncast channel i wanted to know your take on the chances of getting two to four more fighters for smash ultimate there seems to be room for 91 fighter slots in total before the game crashes when you try to add more. Um, I mean, Nintendo's been pretty transparent that this this character pack is the final one. Maybe they decide to add another two just as like, thank you for the continuous support over the last several years. But I think Nintendo means it when they say this is this is it. We're done when this character pack is finished at the end of this year. And then Matanui followed up with another $3.97 donation who wrote, Them hoes be mad of characters stashing 
but the bros will always be grateful for, for smashing. Thanks, boys. <laughs> we then had a $3 donation from absolutely not RGT85. Oh, God. Right. Hey, guys, love the show. What the heck happened with Balan Wonderland? I was very hyped, and it ended up disappointing me and my friends, and now I'm getting a lot of grief by hyping it up. Any hope of it getting patched at some point? Thanks. I didn't. Yes. I never played the game. I'm sure it will get patched, but it sounds like the problems with the game cannot be fixed with a patch. It is just flawed by design. We see you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we then had a $3 donation from DJ Viper AUS. Hi, Nate and MVG. I love your content and your honest views on topics without worrying about whether they are popular or not. Can I run my Switch safely in the dock connected to my TV with the dock powered by an anchor power bank rather than the AC adapter? Um, I don't know. I mean, you could try it, I guess, but I don't know how, how that would fare, honestly. I don't know the power draw that that right. it needs so yeah i i don't know i would say proceed with caution yeah definitely proceed with caution it's probably not worth the risk but hey greatest things in the world are discovered through experiments like that then had another three dollar donation from dj viper aus who writes why do digital games cost so much in australia i can understand physical games being extra due to packaging delivery and the actual physical cost of the item, but I don't understand why games on the eShop is so much more than other countries. Well, as someone who was born and raised and lived in Australia for over 30-something years, I can tell you that there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, I'm not suggesting that I agree with any of them, but I will tell you why. The first one is tax is baked into the price, as you know. There's no sales tax that gets added on after the fact. And the tax is, you know, it's fairly substantial. It's a lot more than what we pay here in the US in most states. Also, you've got to factor in the exchange rate. And I know that the exchange rate over the years has fluctuated. But ultimately, those two things is what causes um, publishers to set the price the way they are. And you're right, they are very expensive the price of video games in australia in general in my opinion is way overpriced but that's another conversation now does australian prices include tax yes it does okay still i see those game prices on the eShop sometimes i'm like wow then we had another three dollar donation from dj viper aus who writes why is it so hard for people to believe that a switch could be released for $400. In Australia, that is $50 less than price of the current Switch and $170 less than the special edition Monster Hunter that just has Rise released. So $400 is a bargain. I mean, I think that Nintendo has never released a system over $350, so I don't necessarily know if it's something that might be a failure, but it's definitely uncharted waters for them. I think yeah, it's uncharted waters and really it depends on how they want to position the switch pro or revision. 
if they're not too concerned about the overall impacts in terms of hardware sales that it would drive, and I mean, do they want it to sell 50 million units or do they just want to sell, you know, like 25 million units, the $400 price is going to be perceived as differently. If Nintendo is going for that lower figure, they're going to price it at as high of a figure as they can because they're not really looking for it to be that strong bull to lead the platform forward. They just want get those few million sales, high price, bring in that revenue and that profit. If they really want to make it more of that mainstream appeal console, you might want to price it a little lower so that it has that wider spread appeal to the consumer base. So that's really what marketing is. It's about perception and appeal yeah. and pricing is that psychological factor where you have to play that role perfectly to get that interest from the consumer because PlayStation 5, you know, the Xbox Series X, they are expensive. There just happens to be a very large base right now who desires them and is willing to spend that price. But once that initial wave of first adopters wanes off, then that's where you begin to see, you know, some of those price drops, the introduction of bundles. The Switch at 299 is just a very appealing price, and that's why Nintendo hasn't had a price drop because consumers see that and say, that's a deal. That's a fair price for what you're offering we can invest on that so that's what nintendo really has to figure out with the switch pro it's not that 400 dollars is isn't possible it's just is there going to be a psychological barrier at play he then had a three dollar donation from steven occupations who writes it saddens me greatly to know that soon i won't be able to access the stores of my first gaming consoles is there any chance that Sony will revisit their old titles in any capacity, or do you believe that they're content to leave the past in the past? Well, as we touched on in this episode, I do have hope that Sony will bring at least PlayStation 1 and maybe PlayStation 2 games to PlayStation 5 via some form of backwards compatibility. Um, PlayStation 3 will likely remain in the past for the foreseeable future. But I do think Sony has some sort of plans to bring at least PlayStation 1 era games to their platform. Then had the $100 donation from Calvin Atkinson, whom this episode is once again dedicated to, who writes, I've seen a lot of HDMI adapters for N64 and GameCube on eBay, but have been reluctant to get them because I'm worried it could affect the resolution and have heard that the controller input can lag. Should I get these or wait for Nintendo Switch Online to add these consoles? I think you'll be waiting a while before you see GameCube added to Nintendo Switch Online. <laughs> Agree. I, I think um, if you want an HDMI um, solution, you're right. Don't bother with the stuff on eBay. They're cheap and they're, they're not very good. I would look into the Ultra HDMI mod for the um the uh, n64 that offers a a high quality um tap directly from the video signal and that would offer you the best best um image quality by bar none we then had a 25 dollar 25 dollar donation from zadia quest no question and if you'd like to support the channel we have a stream labs link in the description on youtube below you can make a donation of 
any amount. Ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more. We will dedicate the episode to you. And once again, today's episode is dedicated to Calvin Atkinson. And I'd like to thank my co-host, MVG, for joining me as always. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Nate. Always. And be sure to check MVG's video about the PlayStation Store shutdown on his channel, which is linked in the description below. Let us know your thoughts on Nintendo's action to delist Super Mario 3D All-Stars, Super Mario 35th, and Fire Emblem from the Nintendo eShop and from retail shelves. And your thoughts on Sony shutting down the PlayStation 3, PlayStation Portable, and PlayStation Vita store, and how their actions to not notify PlayStation Vita developers is just a heinous, unacceptable action by the company in the comment section below. And be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.